Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Hip Factor. Today on the panel, we're short one. We have Jared, Jason, and myself, Jeff. We have a couple interesting topics. Which one do y'all want to start with? I think we should talk about the match that me and Jason shot this weekend. Yeah, talk. Go. Well, Jason, why don't you start off for us? <laughs> He's like, we should talk about this, but you start. Um, yeah, you were like all lean back. I was. I was like, so I think sit back. I was gonna sit back and listen. Yeah, yeah. Jared and I shot a uh, a monthly match. Uh, usually, it's always a pretty good one, and um, and I think everybody was itching to get out and shoot. I'm sure if you haven't shot one, you uh, you're itching. So we went out and shot it, and it was a good time. It was uh it's an interesting one. It's one of the ones where they uh they set up two start times so you can shoot through twice if you shoot two different divisions. And Jared and his crew did that and I did not. I showed up for the later one cuz I'm lazy. Okay. So but it was How did the match, match. go? How did it go I, I for was, you? I was pleased with my sh- my shooting for not having shot in a long time. Um I was overall pleased. They made a few mistakes, but I mean, I think I'm always my worst critic, so I'm always looking to improve on certain things and wishing I would have done something different. So, you know, there was a, there was one stage plan I shot that I wish two stage plans I shot that I wished I wouldn't have done it that way, and then I had a, a missed reload on the classifier, so that hurt hurt my reload. I actually m- nailed the reload, just didn't seat it, so didn't finish it, and uh, so, but it, oh well. Other than that, it was pretty good. All right. Did you win? Did you win? uh, Did you win high overall? I did not win high overall at this match. Uh, This match was uh, we had a we had two GM legit GM solid uh, PCC shooters, and um, one of them had a really good match, and the other one didn't. So he won that PCC shooter won high overall. I was third overall. Another GM limited shooter beat me by uh, like five match points. You got beat by an Ironside gun. I did. He shot. He must have shot. A really, he's a good shooter. He shot. He must have shot a really good match too. But, well, my procedural. Good. My procedural also hurt me. My procedural cost me that position. I had a procedural, a foot fault, <laughs> that Jared was all too quick to make sure they got. I heard I heard from the uh, RO that Jared was running up to him going, did you get that foot fault? Did you get that foot fault? <laughs> exactly. I don't know that it was that bad. But... Shot. Yeah. No, it was it was pretty bad. We were trying to figure out if you shot two rounds or one round before you were in the shooting area. It was close. But, was uh, so, so the uh, me and the group of guys from up here, uh, it was – me, Alexis, and Matt, we drove down there and shot both sec- uh, sessions. So for us to get there in time to shoot it, we had to leave my house at 4 a.m. So it was, uh, it was a pretty long day. We left at 4 a.m. and got home at uh, about 8 p.m. Yeah. Um, I shot a limited minor with my 10-round production gun the first session and production the second round. Uh, overall, it was it was a good match. I, I shot okay overall. Uh, was pretty displeased with my shooting of steel. I think I had like 
between both sessions, I had like probably 15 makeup shots on steel. So that was pretty costly wow. to the time. Yeah. Well, it was between hard. two matches. And then, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun day. The weather was real nice second day. But the big thing for me was uh, my motivation to practice went way up this week after finally getting to shoot a match. Like, you know, now now that we know matches are coming back, it's like it's re-motivated me to get back into the swing of things, really, and start preparing. So here the next week or so, I'll start ramping up my training for uh, Ozark Classic at the end of the month. And then the following weekend after Ozark Classic, I have the Rocky Mountain 300. That's probably the biggest benefit I saw was just, like, actually getting out to shoot a USPSA match. Yeah. It got me motivated, ready to go. Makes it feel like the season's here. Yeah, it's it was been a it struggle. Was, it was fun hanging out with Jason and seeing him mess up a stage with a foot fault, shooting the wrong plan when everybody else on the stage shot a completely different plan and told him why they were shooting it, and he still shot the wrong plan. That's that not fun. true. Nobody. I didn't discuss that stage plan with anybody. Are you talking about the stage where I got the foot fault? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Then Okay, then, yeah, we did talk about that. <laughs> but I thought you were talking about the stage with the steel that we had the mandatory reload. But, yeah, no, I didn't. There was this uh, position. You started, I think, inside the box, and you had some targets to the left and targets to the right. And you had to kind of – everybody else stood there, drew to the targets to the left, shot them, then ran over and shot the targets to the right. I ran over and, and on my draw, shot the targets to the right, and tried to shoot the targets to the left while moving forward and potentially had a foot fault there. And then, then you had to run up to the – this last position and shoot a lot of targets from this one this one spot, and I definitely had a foot fault going into that box. So, mm. yeah. yeah. But then when after we talked about it, I did I did agree that I probably shot the that first position the wrong way. Yeah, it was a it was a stage I just posted to Instagram the other day, and basically mm -hmm. uh, my logic on it was that when I was coming back in, I was going straight in the direction essentially my hips were pointed where he had to come back and he couldn't shortcut the line. But also, once you shot the first left side, if you were shooting a high-cap gun, I had to reload. But with a high-cap gun, you could have instantly transitioned to the next target to shoot. So there wouldn't have been any wasted time. And it was, you know, stand and deliver on those tight top uh, top targets was a lot safer plan. And I think, uh, I don't know who won it with a pistol. It was probably TJ. And I know he shot the same plan I did. Yeah, I um, I would probably shoot it. It just it just felt like I hate standing still and drawing to targets that I felt like I could shoot from a, another position that I could eat the draw and then get rid of a position. But it didn't really work out that way because shooting those targets further away um, and, and trying to move didn't didn't play out like I would have liked it to. So it was one of them ones where it was probably faster to shoot them, or I think it was, and then run over there full speed shoot the other ones, and then run full speed out. And, um, and that's – so, yeah, would like to do that again. Yeah. But it happens. Yeah, otherwise, it was a really fun day. Um, I do like that format of a match, too, where you can shoot two sessions. Because especially for us from up here, it's such a long trip down there. You know, it's three hours each way, so it makes uh, – at least makes it where you can have a good full day. And you shoot a lot of stages, and – the uh, side benefit of that is, I think, er especially early in the season, 
is it's much more similar to the format you'll shoot at a major match. So it's nice to get a day where you're shooting all day and you're shooting yeah. like 12 stages like you will a state match or something. Yep. So what time did everybody finish going through that? Well, when uh, we got we... done, it was 5 o'clock when we were done. Yeah, we had some problems on the last stage. We had an activator that was not cooperating, and I think we had like 12 reshoots. Mm. That's a long day. Probably, that probably added an hour to our shooting. Uh, yeah. yeah we, we started the last stage at like probably 3.20 or so. So has shooting the match, I think, Jared, you already said it got you re-motivated, I guess. Yeah. Did, did it do anything for you, Jason? Um, yeah, I mean, it was good because I felt real good when I left about my shooting. Um, and on the way up, I was a little nervous. And I was like, why am I nervous about that? I mean, I don't get terribly nervous. Um, but I told, I talked myself into it as when I was driving in. I was like, okay, but this is good. You know, this is, you know, you know, if you, if you um, just, um, don't worry about the nerves, know that you can do it and just shoot like you can shoot, you'll shoot really good. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, so at the end of it, when I was driving home, I was pretty pleased, um, with my shooting. So yeah, it was a good experience. So did I shot as good. I shot really good actually. I mean, and I, and I shot as good as I could shoot. Um, I had a couple mental errors. I mean, like I said, I've, our mishaps, uh, stage plans and stuff like that. I didn't, but I didn't really mess up on the shooting part of anything too much. Um, didn't really miss very many steel. I think I had two makeups on steel in the whole match. Um, and that was on one stage that I, on that plate rack where I just tried to burn through the plate rack and that plate, plate rack was actually pretty far. So it was kind of stupid on my part, but I just, you know, sometimes I like to, I like to turn it on a little bit. I saw on that one stage, I turned it on a little bit on that plate rack more than I should have. Um, but yeah, it was good. Cause, uh, you know, it's always good to have a good day. And for me personally, um, I like being, I get motivated from having a good day, but I also get motivated from having a bad day. And, uh, I much prefer to have the motivation from a good performance. Mm, yeah. So during all this, um, quarantining and everything getting canceled and everything, have you struggled with motivation to practice or anything or? Yes. Yes. It's it's hard to train when you don't know what you're training for. Like when there's not a match that you're training for, it's kind of when you don't know when the next one's going to be. It's just it's hard to stay motivated and focused on what you're doing, especially when you don't have any like locals or anything in the middle there to you know to kind of test what you've been working on, basically. Yeah. The sad thing is, like, it would have been a really great time to get some quality practice in, you know, with decent weather and uh, a lot of downtime. Can't go anywhere, but you can go to the range. Uh, would have been really nice. But, yeah, I have not been able to motivate to do anything. I've still been practicing like once a week, so I went out and shot on Thursday. Probably shot, I don't know, 300 rounds or something in practice, maybe 400. Yeah. It, uh, it kind of 
opened my eyes a little bit because I've heard people say, uh, you know, if, if USPSA wasn't there, I'd still be doing this. You know, I'd still be trying to get good at, at shooting. Uh, pretty much confirmed that that's not me. Um, <laughs> if there if there was no there was no outlet, I would not be doing this. I have found it pretty easy to fill my time with uh, other projects. So. Yeah, I would. I mean, I would definitely still shoot, but I wouldn't shoot like I did if there wasn't a competitive outlet of it. it. Would be something else. Yeah. Do you think you would try to find another competitive outlet in a different like discipline? I probably. I'm a competitive person. I would have to have something to be competitive at. Mm. I hear you. All right. Y'all got anything else on that? You want to jump to this? Next doozy. Yeah. Let's go. Okay, so do one of y'all want to tee this one up or do you want me to stumble through it? Stumble through no, it. Well, yeah, stumble through it. All right, perfect. By the way, I want to comment on uh, Jared's background right now. It's awesome. We, we may have to, <laughs> we may have to we may have to take take it take a snapshot of that. We'll have Jared? to post his snapshot. Hold on a second. Let me get my hair on. But I, and I, and I just I think we should just get a snap. Just it just needs to be him. That's yeah, we, right there. We can, we can edit it. That is hilarious. Um, and this almost. Nah, I'll, I'll be quiet. <laughs> yeah, maybe you should. <laughs> okay, so you got anything else, Jason? No. Okay. So the next topic we're going to discuss is, I guess, how or when or who you should take a class from. Uh, the, I guess the two uh, main categories are, should you take a class from a local person or should you try to find a class with somebody who's a bit more renowned and does some traveling and try to meet up with them potentially a few hours from where you live. Okay. So I'll start on this one. So a big thing to remember is that being able to do does not necessarily mean you can teach, but there are some guys out there that have very good track records of being quality instructors who have also been extremely successful in the sport. So it's something else I've noticed though in the last few years, it seems like there's a lot more people that think that as soon as they make like M class, they need to start teaching people. I'm not saying that, you know, if you're brand new to the sport that they can't teach you, but there is a, there seems to be getting more and more people that kind of overvalue their experience and think that they, it's time for them to start instructing people and charging money for ran across one on Facebook the other day that was advertising doing a class and he was going to he was going to focus on grip and recoil control and shooting on the move and all kinds of stuff so he advertised his class and I was like I, I didn't recognize his name I looked him up he's like M class guy who shoots like 75% in a major match I'd have a hard time thinking someone like that's worth giving money to um, you know there's there's a reason that people like Ben have made a living out of instructing is because they're good at the instruction side of it, not just on the shooting side of stuff. 
So I think it's it's certainly important to vet your instructors and know where you're at before you pay someone money. If you're you're brand new to the sport and you don't really know how to draw a gun yet or how to pull a trigger straight back or something, there's lots of guys out there that can teach you that kind of stuff. But if you're if you're comfortable with the sport and understand the rules and you can reasonably draw a gun and reload it, you you need someone who it really has a coach's eye for instructing. Good points. Those are good points. What do you think, Jason? What do you got? I agree with everything he said. Uh, I may kind of go into detail a little bit more on some of them. Like, uh, yes, if you're a new shooter and you know someone at your range um, that may be a master or a GM, um, it, it might do you well to approach them and say, hey, you know, could you set aside two hours, three hours, one Saturday and you know, maybe help me give me some instruction and some coaching, uh, you know, offer to pay them. Um, but, and you could, I have no doubt, um, that you could get a lot of quality from that, but I think again, along what Jared was saying, you're going to get way better instruction from someone that is not only, um, at the skill level at the top of the game, but also great at instructing. So I've taken classes with some people before and, and so, you know, that are at the top of the game and there's their class consisted of, all right, I'm going to show you this drill. All right, you do this drill. Okay. Next person. Then I've taken classes from people that are also at the top of the game that said, okay, I'm going to show you this drill. Um, now you do this drill. And then they say, Oh, work on this or work on this. Okay. You did this. Try to not try not to do this. And, and then, so, so there's different levels, even at the top level shooter. Um, I will say that if you're, I have a hard time wanting, or I don't know if I'm not going to take a, I'm a, I'm a grandmaster. So I'm not going to take a class from someone that's probably not a GM and that's not better shooter than I am. I'm sorry. Uh, it doesn't mean that that doesn't mean they can't say something that I never thought of or say something that I have thought of, but in a different way that made me think about it different. Not saying that I can't mm-hmm. learn something from them, but I'm just not going to take a class from someone that's, for me, that's not at the top of the sport. Um, I feel that most people, it, uh, there's people out there that are nowhere near the top of the sport that are doing classes, and they, they in my mind, I, I mean, at the beginner level, that's great. Um, but I think you just need to understand that. and But, but we got people that don't know the difference, I think, in the sport. And so they may, you know, it's like you don't know. I'll use, I hate to say this, but I'll use this analogy. It's kind of like getting in the 1911s. Everybody thought the Kimber was the greatest thing ever. And then after you, if you get serious in the 1911s, you realize Kimbers are not the greatest thing ever. Their marketing <laughs> is really good. And uh, then you realize, you know, there's better. So, but like everybody that gets in 1911s really thinks Kimber is top of the line before they know any better. So some of that can happen in shooting too. Again, doesn't mean you can't learn something from someone, even, even have them come out and teach a class um, if they're not at the top level. But I definitely think the cost should reflect that too. Um, I find it hard in me for me just to, if you keep telling me something that you can't do, like you need to do this, oh. but if you can't do it, I, yeah, I know that there's, you know, you know, 
the, football coaches out there that don't that, that you know Bill Belichick was never a good football player probably, but he's probably one of the better coaches. I mean, he cheats a lot, but it's a different story. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Rubbin's racing, you know what I mean? If you ain't cheating, you're not you're not playing or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's just my take on it. Uh, I will say one last thing about it is. I also don't think we need people making YouTube videos on how to dry fire that are very, I mean, and I don't mean to be rude and I'm not trying to be a, a prick, but I mean, even if you're trying to get somebody that doesn't know how to dry fire into dry firing and you're literally a D-class shooter, uh, maybe you don't need to make that video. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the example Sorry. I use that I, the example I use that I ran across was this, as far as I could tell, looking on practice court, searching their name, this person has never even shot at Nationals. Like, I saw, like, one or two matches where there was legitimate heat in their division. And, I mean, they got they got crushed. They shot at a, a low A, high B level. Like, they're... I think you if you're, if you're at that level, you need to be focused on your own training and and not be trying to offer training services. That's a really good point. But talking on your dry fire one, I really enjoyed that recent video of a a lady showing somebody how to load the handgun and saying that she holds it up in front of her face to block the incoming bullets. That's in the face. That's not in the gamer world or the, the, the competition world. That's in the Timmy world but what are you, yeah, what are you that, talking about I hold my gun up in front of my face in case those cardboard targets shoot back that's a good point I'm just kidding I, I reload the gun at chest level I do want to say as far as like what what class shooter they are and whether they're teaching or not it okay so I think it does matter if you are marketing your teaching towards the sport okay but you're not very good at this sport. So, so like you were saying, it's like a you know C or B class shooter that's like, hey, I can teach you how to be better at this sport. I, that doesn't make much sense. But I do think that person could market their their teaching to people who don't shoot sports. Right. Uh, you know, uh, basically just people that are trying to learn how to use a gun. Because a C and a B class, even a D class shooter, is going to be way better than anybody who's not shooting the sport pretty much or yeah, who's not, I, who's not training seriously, I should say. Um, the, aver, advertise it as a fundamentals of shooting class or, or intro to USPS, yeah, an intro to USPSA class for people who have never shot a USPSA match before, like talking basics, but then advertising a class where, uh, you know, hey, are you stuck in a rut and need to learn more about drawing and transitioning and reloading the gun and all movement and all this stuff? It's like, are you qualified to teach that? Because, I mean, personally, I don't know about you, how you guys feel. I do not feel qualified to be trying to teach someone how to shoot. Like, I'm glad to take someone who's, you know, trying to learn the game to the range with me and let them buy a beer afterwards to kind of show them what I do for practice. But I'm not instructing people. And I, I don't have any interest in that. Yeah, I don't either. Other than if I'm out the range with a friend and they're shooting with the teacup grip, I can usually help them out a little bit. I that's on TV. That's a very good way to shoot a gun. <laughs> or the the wrist grab. angel. I like I like the wrist grab one. 
I like when they put like I like when they cross their thumbs on an auto loader. <laughs> and you're just waiting for that slide to cycle. <laughs> yep. Get them. Um, so I want to ask you all a question. So I've thought about this before. So with guys like Ben who teach constantly, um, I don't know of anybody else in the sport that probably, and I may not just be aware. I but think it Vogel, seems like he teaches. He teaches more than anybody. I think Vogel also teaches a lot, but I think Vogel does a lot more on the like defensive and LE and stuff like that. Okay, training. so I think, my question I think is, he teaches a similar schedule. I wonder if like that also, even though they're not shooting during the entire class. I mean, they shoot in the class, but they're not shooting like the like the people paying to take the class are shooting. So I wonder, but they're always talking through everything. So they're talking about this is the purpose of this drill. This is what we're focusing on. This is the skill we're trying to sharpen. Uh, and then they do it, and then they assess it, and then they talk about that. And then they watch other shooters do it, and then they assess them. I wonder if that part of that also helps them. Because it's like when you learn anything, you know, um, if you read it, you learn it. If you just write it, you learn it. And if you just were to speak about it, you would learn it. But when you do all those things together – you, you learn it better. And so I've always wondered if that helps um, or ha- got ha- oh. was part of what helped Ben get to the level he's at. Um, I feel like it can't hurt because he, he's ben, able to pick I, apart stuff so much easier. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just always wondered that. I, I think Ben though was already a top level guy when he started teaching. Like he was already, I think a super squad level shooter when he started teaching. So but he's it's probably a little different for him. Yeah, but I, I'm sure if you asked him, he would probably tell you that teaching has made him a better shooter as yes, well. Getting at, yeah, that was my question. Now, I'm not saying that to, for people that think want to get better at shooting, start going out and teaching, but um, I've just wondered that. I think another aspect of it is someone who's been teaching a long time is potentially going to be quite a bit better at teaching. Yeah, uh, I know I've heard instructors talk about uh, instructors that haven't been doing it for very long talk about uh, how they're kind of still in a state of every time they teach a class they they learn uh, a way to teach something to a certain individual because you know everybody learns a little bit differently they'll they'll get a new type of person in their class and they'll be like oh well, I can this is how that person learns and uh, so they're still kind of going up the learning curve of instructor i guess yeah Uh, so if you find someone who's like a veteran teacher they could i'm not saying it's for sure but they potentially could be a better teacher no that makes sense that's actually you know it's like anything else the more you do it the better you get at it and uh, i think i've learned that in my shooting when i go out and practice um i learn the more i practice the the better i get at practice Right. And the more I'm able to make the practice, the practice count, because um, everybody that goes out and practices when they first start shooting, even even if it's just trying to put holes in paper with their Kimber, um, you know, I'm going to go out and practice. And what do you do? You when you on the way home, if somebody was to ask you, what you accomplish today? You really can't tell them anything, but except that you sent 300 rounds of, you know, pieces of lead into the berm. You know what I mean? And so uh, then you start getting better at structuring a practice, however you do it. 
And then I think the more you do that, you realize, okay, this, this is what works for me. This is what works for me. And yeah, same thing with dry fire. So, um, it's like anything else. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So it would be the same way with instruction. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't done any instructing, but hearing other instructors talk about that aspect of instructing, that seems to be true. So back to answering the question, yes, you could get a lot, I think, I think, out of taking classes from a GM. First of all, I don't know that a lot of clubs, I don't know how common GMs are to every club. Um, as far as I know, I'm the only GM in Arkansas um, that's active. And so and bef- other than me, the only other one would have been Matt Mink that doesn't shoot anymore that, that I can think of. So yeah. um, somebody's feelings, Jason. <laughs> I'm not lo- trying to be some lonely GM out there. Yeah, I'm sorry, about, man. You forgot about him. I forgot if I if I did forget about someone, I, I I'm not trying to. But uh, <laughs> and I'm also not trying to brag or put anybody else down. I'm just saying, how, how many? I don't know how c- common it is. And when I first made, I made master out of the gate, and so I was in no way qualified to talk to anybody about how to do something correctly. <laughs> I just let it rip and 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 hooked up on you know, at a classifier match. I mean, so. Man, I think every, just talking about being the only gym there, every, every area is a little different. Like here, I started shooting in the Kansas City area. And I think even when I started, there was already four GMs local. Yeah, but uh, you guys have been. Not the rule. <laughs> I would think, I would think your area is the exception, not the rule. I would think. Yeah. And, and, you know, we're right on the Kansas border. So we have a couple of guys in Kansas that are GMs that have been around this work for a long time. And then when I started, uh, Matt and Tim were the local GMs here. And then I think that I know of now, there's uh, four active GMs in Missouri. I think it's me, Matt, TJ, and uh, what's his name over there in the St. Louis area? Shoots Production. I just dropped a blank on his name. But... Well, Greg's oh, yeah. also a GM, uh, but he's a GM in PCC, so. Yeah, Steve, Greg. Stephen? Is that guy Stephen? Yes. Yeah. And those, those are the only GMs I know in the area, so really there's not that many. So it's not surprising, like, Arkansas only has, you know, two GMs and one that still shoots. Uh, I think until you get to some of the certain places like, you know, Florida or maybe Texas or, like, Phoenix, those areas that have year-round warm weather, you just don't see as many. Yeah. So, anyways, again, I think yes, you could get something out of taking classes from an M level, a really solid M level. I would probably approach a GM, and that's not me trying to say that because I'm a GM. Um, but I think I think while M level shooters probably similarly skilled to the GM, I feel like from my personal experience, it took a little bit more of holding stuff together. Um, which is a kind of hard in its own own way to keep the dumpster fire contained um, and under control to make GM. So I feel like that's another level of of maybe the sport. And then, of course, I think there's different levels of GMs too. So, um, but that's just me. But so I would say take a class from a local GM, approach them be willing to pay them some money, but I wouldn't think you should pay them as much as you should pay a top-level shooter that's a solid instructor. Mm-hmm. So I think you do both, to be honest with you. 
Yeah, I mean, I know some people don't think this. Like, I think there's a uh, there's a belief out there that you should take all your training from one instructor, right? You just you want to learn that instructor's methods, but uh, I disagree with that. I think you should learn as much as you can from everybody and develop your own. Yeah. That makes me think of a good point, though, is that you you also you don't need to take like five classes a year. No, like you you go to the class to learn something, to then put into work on your own practice. I don't I don't think you see it near as much in the competition world, but I know in the tactical world, like it's a big deal to go take classes with this instructor, or that instructor, and that's fine, especially if you enjoy it. It's good use of your time, but it's like. You have to practice outside of taking a class. The class is going to teach you something to practice or help you find something that you need to work on. It should not be your entire practice. But but I'm telling you, people think, oh, I'm going to shoot a thousand rounds in this class, maybe 1500. And by the time I'm done, I'm going to be a better shooter. And I think you might be that that's not I don't know that that's crazy to think you won't be somewhat better at something maybe or a few things and that you um may not you may even pick up something in the class that, that never dawned on you that automatically makes you a better shooter i mean if you if if you never knew to you know aim your sights and somehow the instructor says hey you probably should start aiming at these targets and then you start aiming that may actually make you a better shooter across the board right off the bat so but that's not necessarily the common thing that happens at classes, it's like Jared said, you, you pick up skills to practice that you should take home and then, and then practice those things. On the, on the competition front. So you take a two day class, you spend 16 hours on the range and shoot a thousand rounds or whatever. I think it's reasonable to think that you're going to have at least some marginal skill gain and probably the, the farther down the classification ladder you are, the more, the more low hanging fruit you have. I think the more you might actually get from a, a single class, like you might have a breakthrough on some skills, but yeah. it's fair to think that you're going to leave a class and probably shoot better than you started with. But the class is a base of, of what to work on in your own training or, or even in some of Ben's classes, the format is teaching you how to practice. Yep. So you still have to execute it in practice. You can't just, you can't go to the class and, uh, in March and then decide that that's your training for the year. You're going to go zero your guns once a month and shoot a couple hundred rounds and you're going to get way better this year. How many people you think do that though? What you um, just said, not that you can't do percentage oh, out of, out of people that take classes from every instructor in, in this sport, everyone that takes a class per year, would you say 50% of the people do that or 80% of least, the people do that? I bet at least 50% of the people basically do not practice they might go shoot but they do not practice outside of the class and i'll bet you 80 percent barely practice outside the class like they might go practice once a month they might dry fire once or twice a week but they don't really like have a discipline and focused plan i think a lot of them in this sport are just people that uh consider locals their practice so you know they go take a class and then they shoot a local every weekend and that's 
I, that's one. Because they figure that's that's enough to get better. Yeah. No, I, I shoot with guys. Um, a, a buddy of mine. He's like, I'm not going to practice. He says matches are my practice, and I was like, that's not the right way to think about. It, if you want to get better, I said, if you're just out there to have a good time, and there's nothing wrong with that, because I'm going to get that point to that point to where I'm going to show up to a match just to have a blast and not worry about you know getting better and or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with either way. But uh, oh yeah, no. I mean, guy said that to me the other day. I mean, we're talking two or three days ago. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to practice. He's like, matches are my practice. And I was like, okay, technically they're not really practice, but whatever. There you go. Excellent work, boys. When y'all have like a a uh, we need a uh, an end catchphrase. Everybody else has an end catchphrase, right? Like you say at the end of the podcast, we don't have one other than let's pinch it off. I think, think that's ours. Yeah. We're right. being so needy, Jeff. All right. Well, let's Hold pinch on. it off. Well, if, we, if we need one, here we go. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Oh, stop recording, damn it. <laughs> <laughs>